Hello and welcome to Fashion as a Force for Good, a podcast brought to you by Smartworks. This is the charity that uses the power of clothing and coaching to help unemployed women get the job and transform their lives. In the 10 years Smartworks has been running, we have learned that when a woman looks and feels her best, she can change her life. I'm your host, Tiffany Dark, and every week I'll be talking to a new guest about the power of clothing, their relationship with fashion, and the transformative role clothes have played at key moments in their lives and careers. Time to find out whose wardrobe doors were opening this week. Our guest this week is Gemma Curdy, an award-winning broadcaster and author who is passionate about empowering young women. After a brief stint in which she decided she wasn't going to be an actress, Gemma was picked up by the BBC as a radio and TV host. She has since presented award-winning shows and documentaries, as well as publishing two books mentoring young adults. She has founded her own production company, Boom Shakalaka, produced underground theatre and radio documentaries, and currently lives in Edinburgh, where she is a board member for the Edinburgh Arts Festival. I can't wait to hear her thoughts on fashion. Gemma, you really haven't disappointed today. (laughs) I'm glad. (laughs) I said to the girls before you arrived, I do hope she's wearing something colourful. <laughs> yeah, this skirt is the skirt that really brings the rainbow. It does, it does. Talk me through your outfit because it is so fabulous. Okay, so I'm wearing sandals. They're kind of espadrille-esque without a platform. Uh, woven, and I bought them in Cartagena, Northern Colombia. And they were in a shop full of beautiful textiles and the palette of dreams as far as my eyes can tell. Um, They're also coloured like the rainbow. Yeah, just multicoloured. And then I've got a vintage skirt, which I bought at Glastonbury last year. I I can't remember which store, but there is a really good field for shopping at Glastonbury at the festival. And um, it's probably a 60s maxi with um, a floral print. Tones of psychedelia, I'd say, as well. Massively. <laughs> There's every shade of orange, pink, yellow, blue, all mashed together in a, a maybe a wildflower field of dreams. And that is the print. And then um, underneath, I'm actually wearing a jumpsuit. <laughs> um, Comfort first. It's kind of like I could go dancing at like almost like contemporary dancing, not necessarily raving. I could do that as well, but I could go to a dance class if I just removed my skirt because <laughs> I've got um, a kind of all-in-one underneath um, and a pink double-breasted jacket, suit jacket. Well, this is the thing. So we wanted you to bring something to this podcast that meant something to you where something had happened. And... Are you wearing what you bought? I am. And it is this jacket. I came across this jacket and the designer behind it at a point in my life where everything shifted in terms of my relationship with fashion. Intriguing. Mm. You'll have to go further. Okay, so I love clothes. I don't think that that's a surprise to anyone. Um, I think that they're joyful. I think that they're almost vibrational. I think they can affect our mood. I think that clothes are very, very powerful and they're a form of expression. 
I really deeply love them. But I think I was subconsciously becoming aware that consumerism, capitalism, etc. Some of the some of the potential issues to navigate being human in the modern world was starting to grate somehow. Um, I don't know whether it's how quickly we can get stuff, whether there's an overwhelm of choice, uh, whether it's to do with self-esteem as a woman growing in this world who has been in the public eye for a long time and feeling like I need to look or be a certain way or dress a certain way. But I was getting a little bit, oh, and, I, and it, was, it was a cluster of so many things. Mm. And then I was asked to work to do a job at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, which on paper was a lot of words and essentially is a conference where uh, people in fashion come together and talk about the climate crisis and their involvement from a fashion perspective and what can be done in terms of positive change. I was the compare for a few days. Um, I was dressed, which was a luxury in terms of I was working with the stylist because mm. uh, I had to look sharp it was important that I looked like one of the fashion crew and um, there are hundreds of people there if not thousands I can't remember the exact amount but big conference halls big big spaces filled with people discussing a very important issue and the stylist brief was to make sure that I was wearing really sustainable clothing and it's quite a few years ago and at this point I I hadn't done my research in in what was sustainable, what wasn't. I didn't know about the term greenwashing. And I hadn't really, on a on an intellectual level, thought about where my clothes were from and how that might affect me. But working at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, seeing beautiful garments that were made in a way that is fair, and discussing how much fashion and the industry and the clothes we wear contribute to the planet and its well-being, and therefore by proxy my own, was a real awakening. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we do it with food. You know, if you get a carrot on your plate, you think, oh, where did that carrot come from? But we never think about it with clothes. And clothes, actually, they come from fields, they come from farms. That, that there is an impact in the way they are made. So so that jacket that you're wearing, which is, I have to say, a glorious Barbie bubblegum yeah. pink with beautiful gold buttons. What's it made of? It's quite power dressing. Um, it's made by a designer called Designers Remix and they are Danish. And uh, they are one of the sort of, one of the first adopters of really being clear about what they're making, how they're making it and not making too many garments and they're not being this huge value chain mm. where they're outsourcing the work in a different country. It's made in Denmark. And I met with the with the with the designers and it was just an amazing idea to me, which I think we are much more further down the line in discussing but evaluating this chain of clothing and being able to wear something that's been made carefully and I know who made it and where it was and where these buttons were added, it makes a difference. This is an example and a symbol of, of us wearing clothes that we're proud to wear, 
that we enjoy, that we look after, that we maybe save up for, because this wouldn't be cheap, you know? Yeah. And I think that, again, you know, the, the, the late, great Vivian Westwood spoke about it for a long time and so beautifully, if we're looking for references about this emotionality with our clothing and um, and really doing the research that so that you can feel connected to essentially like what we wrap ourselves in, you know? That's so true, but it's, it's about valuing it, isn't it? You know, like every piece of clothing that we have, we should value. I think Vivian said, mm. buy less, wear it for longer. Yes. And those are just two things that you need to remember, buy less and wear them for longer. But let's not forget that it's easy to feel bad about clothes, isn't it? Because Definitely. when you start digging into that thing, but actually clothes are really important in making us feel good about ourselves. And just looking at you, Gemma, you always dress like a rainbow. You always are like a beacon of joy. So tell me a little bit about where does that come from? Have you always dressed like that? I think so. I'm quite a butterfly as a human in a way. I um, I live expressively. I love to, to, to move and go places and I love people and I love the, the planet. I love, I love the earth. I really do. And I, and I like to show that. I like to go into a room and, um, sometimes even if it means representing other or something different I can not always but I can sometimes find my personal kind of flourish or thrive in that space and um, I think I have always been like that I turn to the joy I look for the color in life um, I'm a romantic I I love in a big way and I and I think I try to show that in in all the creativity that is around me and and that for me that is part of my own style. So like the clothes help do the talking for you. I think way. so. And it's been trial and error. I look back at stuff and I'm like what was I thinking? Because <laughs> I think sometimes I could have had a tendency to be a rebel without a cause. Just like, I want to be different. I want to be subversive. I want to be a punk. And I and I think that was me finding my voice within the world. I mean, you can describe it as so many different things, like the system, society, et cetera, et cetera, which statistically could be um, a different place for different people depending on who you were born as and, and what you represent and, and what you look like. And I think that to express a joy, a kind of joy mm. for living has has always been part of my, my trial and error of dressing. And I started in the public eye which is an easy way of describing it. There's like a long way of describing like my my quite varied career and in some ways quite unexpected career. Really young, I was a kid, I was 23 and I suddenly had this radio job on a on a BBC radio station with a, a national treasure. I was the co-host of Trevor Nelson. I couldn't really believe it and I was getting up super early in the morning and I was doing the one extra breakfast show and I was at the time living in East London around a lot of creative people. Um, I really enjoyed going to gigs and nightlife and then suddenly I was up and at them and in a studio with musicians and... and now I read yeah. somewhere that you got that gig because of what you were wearing. Or it was, <laughs> so didn't you go for an audition with Trevor Nelson? Oh, well, he was one of the goodness. judges. Yeah. And what were you wearing? Okay, so 
Previous to getting the one extra job, I did this program called Pick Me MTV. I really didn't want to do it because I didn't want to do a reality TV program. It was it was a filmed process of getting the job to be the new MTV news reporter. Um, I think I was 21 or 22. I didn't have any money. I was working as a tequila girl <laughs> and a stylist. And I'd been to drama school and I was having a great time. But I, I thought... I probably should go for this because I could do with a job <laughs> that guaranteed cash. Um, probably wouldn't have had you down as a news reporter. Exactly, that was the problem. <laughs> That's why I didn't get it. And actually at the time, um, who were the judges? Trevor Nelson was one of the judges. Um, Alicia Dixon was one of the judges. And it, it, it was a really kind of good show. And Laura Whitmore actually got it. And she was part of the same process. And I was in the final three. And I remember just keep going through the heats. And I was keeping on going through the heats. And um, I just, I looked really ridiculous. I looked like I'd come out of an episode of Skins. (laughs) Like I sort of just like, I had old school kickers on that you would wear to school in the 90s. I think they were pink and metallic. Pair of leggings, because I've always loved Lycra, and that was the day where American apparel like was the thing. Yeah. And uh, a vintage jumper that had been shrunk in the wash, had a tiny little moth hole in it, which I think nobody noticed, and um, flying pigs all over it. When That was the knitted jumper. I wish I still had it, because it's actually an amazing jumper. And now I live in Scotland, and I really like my knits. But um, <laughs> it, it, it was kind of my humour as well, I think. I just thought, what the heck am I doing here? I've been to drama school. I've been quite sort of shoegazy and esoteric and had learned all these weird and wonderful avant-garde practices by studying theatre. And then suddenly I was on a reality TV show and I didn't really want to be there, but I knew that I liked connecting with people and that TV could be an interesting job for me and that I wasn't a very good actor so maybe a presenter would be good like being a presenter would be good so I wore flying pigs and look where the, <laughs> look where the flying pigs have taken you <laughs> but I'm interested before you went to Brit school and you became the girl on the stage and you went on to have this amazing broadcasting career where were you before that and and did clothes help you in that Yes, but not consciously. I think music, conversation, glamour, glitz, certain reference points that have been about fashion and style have always drawn me like a magpie to them, but I wouldn't have known why. And I also have a bit of a theory sometimes when I'm really thinking about this. When I was in London in my early 20s, everyone kind of looked like a butterfly to me. I was living in the epicentre of Shoreditch where magazine culture was... Flying pigs with a uniform. Flying pigs with a uniform. And there were club kids around me. And it it was a cool and aspirational job to be in fashion, in British fashion. And I used to go to my local like shop and just like stare at the covers of ID and and dazed and confused and just think 
wow, you know, this is just so glamorous and I'm living in the center of it and mm. everyone around me isn't afraid to express themselves. And we were from everywhere. There was like, we were, it was a multicultural scene. It was a queer scene and it was a loud and bright and fun scene that was based in fashion. And for me, it wasn't too dissimilar to having spent two years at the Brit school, which I had done, studying theatre, it was all so theatrical. Yeah. <laughs> this is just epic. And then if you were to rewind even further, me as a teenager, I mean, I was I was growing up in the 90s and uh, girl power was huge. Were you in London then or did you? No, I was in Sussex when I grew up. I sort of lived everywhere. Yeah. I was born in Birmingham. I uh, moved to South London for primary school. Then we moved to Sussex for secondary school. Then I was traveling an hour and a half every day back into South London to go to college. So I've, and I've sort of continued that winding road of, of going places. Like I'm not afraid to travel and be in different places. I have home within my kind of heart rather than in a physical place. But as a teenager, moving from South London to Sussex must have been like, <laughs> especially if you were wearing clothes like that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I've always represented, I don't know what, it's so hard to talk about yourself in this kind of way, but I've always, I've always been a dreamer. I've always like wanted to, to, to be in amongst like fun or, um, I don't know what it is. It's like, or the, or the party or the laughter. The adventure. The adventure. That's yeah. exactly what it is. I sometimes call myself like the human Dora the Explorer. <laughs> um, I'm an explorer. I am, and I mm. and I and I want to reclaim the notion that an explorer is someone in a safari outfit, like taking things from other cultures. I think I'm a life explorer, and um, and I think it is possible to create a sense of self and home within within your inner world. And I definitely think that clothes and textile and cloth are a part of that. It's style, mm. it's more than fashion it, and, and, and it's expression and it's, and it's, um, it's staking your claim in the world as somebody, I mean, actually at the moment, I'm, I've just started reading Billy Connolly's memoir and it's called Windswept and Interesting. And, even in the first few pages, he describes a hippie friend having done some traveling, coming back to Scotland in the 70s, looking at him and saying, oh, you're so windswept and interesting. And he takes that on and embodies it as a type of person. And it means to wear whatever and to not really care. And it resonates. Like, I understand that. But you're lucky because you obviously feel very confident about who you are and what your style is which is just as well because you live in the public eye. We're in such a visual culture now. People have got to post on social media all the time. Everyone's looking at us and looking at what we look like. I mean, it's not always easy to feel confident about yourself. And Here we are doing a podcast and it's being filmed. What is that? I know. <laughs> Someone should have told me that I've done my makeup. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but I don't you think it's the pressure now on people to look good and to have a style and, you know, if you don't have that style or you lose your confidence at some point, then it is quite hard. Has that ever happened to you? Definitely. I'm the same as anybody, really. 
I'm a human. Um, I go up, I go down, I go around and about, I live life to the full. And uh, that means moments of feeling like, what was I wearing? Do I look good? I've been photographed loads. Yeah. Through lots of different phases. Like I've been different shapes. I've been different sizes. I've felt differently about my body. I've I've sort of been amongst or interviewed or spoken to or seen in real life some of the most quote unquote kind of beautiful, famous people. I grew up in the 90s and was part of magazine culture. And I don't mean necessarily that editorial high fashion that came a bit later. I mean, you know, girls magazines, heat magazine, just 17, more publications that, you know, kept our attention because we didn't have social media, but told us how we as identified women or girls could be sexy and how great it would make us feel to be sexy. <laughs> it's really, it's really... That word's cancelled now. I know, right? It? You can't it's, say it's, it anymore. It's, it's troublesome, yeah. but it was very real. Yeah. Um, and now it's something slightly different in terms of language. It's like, it's, it's But you still get good. judged, don't you? Definitely. There's still the same, this kind of false... It's not necessarily false, but it's because it, actually it feels very real when it starts to take over, but it is pressure. And it's this feeling that we're supposed to be reaching for and it, and it, and it means beautiful, it means sorted, it means successful. And that can bite us all, you know, mm. uh, if you haven't had enough sleep, if it's the wrong time of the month, mm. if, I don't know, your dating world is going awry, whatever it might be something's going on in your family, you're grieving, whatever it is, of course, we look to numb like the truth by scrolling through Instagram. And if we're not feeling tip top, we can really add to not feeling tip top. There's always someone out there looking better than you. <laughs> right? And I think, I mean, I, I heard the phrase that comparison is a thief of joy. And I think that's really true. I I'm not saying that I don't do it because I actually think that probably everybody has compared themselves to somebody else. But at the same time, I know deep down in my belly, having been in this crazy, crazy world and business for quite a long time now, that there isn't really such a thing as perfect. No. What do you do to help yourself in those situations? Um... Go and have a snooze. <laughs> Good get, advice. Get in the sea. <laughs> get in the sea, bit of cold water swimming. Call someone on my house phone. Yeah. <laughs> There's something so soothing about putting a big house phone to your ear and uh, deciding to speak to somebody. It's a completely different experience to calling someone on your mobile. Oh, I didn't think people had house phones I know. <laughs> I did. <Good> tip. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's very hard, isn't it, to break out of that feeling when you're in it. But I think as well, like you, you, you gather if you choose, if you want. There are things available to us to to help us get out of that that feeling of insecurity. Or I mean, it's it's labelled differently for different people, and I really respect that. Like we are all living slightly different versions of something that's connected and. One thing that I have learned and I feel good about 
in my later 30s and really thankful for actually, they're almost biblically thankful for some of this stuff, is that it does get easier. It has done for me. And I think that there are tools available for us. So I can get out of a funk quite quickly now. It's like just rationalizing, right? Mm. So what? There's a picture of me on the internet from when I was 24 and I don't like how chubby my cheeks look. Is that going to affect my day? Is it affecting anyone's day? (laughs) Mm. You know? And do I live a life that I love? Yes. You're so good at the sunny disposition, Gemma. It's really, you know, it's it's a choice though, isn't it? Like... I think it is a choice. I personally think that. I'd love to talk to, to all people about whether they agree with me or not, but for me, I've chosen it. Yeah. I was a SmartWorks client in 2020, and this is my story. I came to... SmartWorks at a really challenging point in my career path and had been referred by an NHS support service. I was feeling quite unconfident, which for me was really unusual, um, usually having been an independent, career-minded woman, and that was something I really wanted to get back to. I had a limited understanding of who SmartWorks were or what they did before going to my first appointment, but I just knew that they were going to help me prep for an interview and maybe get some new clothes. The SmartWork space was an absolute oasis. It was calm, it was beautiful, and I was greeted by a very glamorous team. I had a dressing, which was really fun and boosted my confidence. It was amazing how a new outfit could make me feel, you know, much more confident and more beautiful. And after that, I had a coaching session, which was amazing and I still use the learning from it today. They made me feel really welcome and treated me as an equal which was so valuable and I left feeling empowered and that bit stronger all in space of just a couple of hours. I don't know how they do it and then I went to my interview and on arrival they commented on how lovely my outfit was and when I left their office I passed a woman in the corridor and she commented on my trousers as well. Overall, the SmartWorks experience really empowered me to be sure of myself and to know my worth, which is huge. Let's go back to Trevor and the and the flying pigs. <laughs> <laughs> there you are, rookie, turned up, you get your big break, you're so lucky. Did you ever think when you were growing up, when you were a schoolgirl, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to be a radio broadcaster and I'm going to be a household name? I knew that I loved chatting. I knew that I loved laughing. I knew that I loved dressing in a fun way, even if it's clown-like. There is some kind of like performance element to Mm. some of my kind of route to whatever it is I'm doing now, which is various things. But um, I I thought that something like that, like like what's happening may happen and I thought it would be really fun. Also, I've, I've been, with that sunny disposition that I've chosen to swim in, I there's been this kind of like youthful optimism, particularly when I was younger, that I that I could change the world, which I hope that a lot of young people feel because I yeah. think that, that we all can. I think it doesn't. It's not just a, a youthful feeling, but I think it gets harder to remember what that felt like inside of your mind and body. But I genuinely thought that 
if I did something artistic, if I brought people together through the medium of theatre, if we used our imaginations, if we all danced together, sung together, were kind to each other, I honestly thought that the world could be a better place. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't know how hard that would be. And I didn't know how that would seem to jaded people who were older than me. And I didn't know how hard it might get. Keeping on with your career. Yeah, well, I didn't know how hard the world would get. Mm. I mean, I don't know whether it's harder or not. I really don't know the answer to that. Like, again, it would require much more time and mm. and thought. But I, um, I, I thought, ah, oh, it's not nice when people aren't nice to each other, or I can see injustice sometimes without overanalyzing it, or having the internet to look at statistics or a constant do doom news feed. I just thought, it could be better, I know it could be better. And probably we can be better by getting together and enjoying stuff. Um, I remember like going for a drama school audition when I was 19, and it was for a really prestigious drama school that was known to be really experimental um, and it had a really good reputation. It started in the 60s. And I sat there and I was delighted to be there and I prepared my audition. And I said, I wanna bring people together via community theater and I wanna travel the world. And um, I think it can make the world a better place. And I really believed it. And this very melancholic, serious, academic dramaturg type, said to me, well, first he laughed and I was like, why is he laughing? And then he was just like, you really think you could change the world? This isn't a Miss World contest. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I thought this is the place where I learn how to do it. Yeah. And I didn't get in. And, um, and, yeah. I, and, I, and, I, and I remember feeling like, ouch. But that ouch is something that I've come across like quite a lot. I mean, now there's a term, isn't there, like, of toxic positivity which and it was another moment when I heard that. I was like, ouch, like, I hope people don't think that about me. I just like try and find the good in things. And I'm also super aware now. I'm much more informed. And even of, of my own life, I'm much more reflective as to things that, that are like, are not all right, you know? Do you think that's affected your positivity? Yeah, I think that it's actually in some ways propelled me to inhabit, practice, build that muscle, find it, surround myself in, in love, investigate what love actually is, justice, equality, all of the important stuff, which kind of keeps me going these days. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's the, I think it, 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 it's the things that, aren't good around me or that have been in my experience that propels and informs my sense of self and work moving forward. Yeah, I mean, um, they do say that the, the hardest things are the ones that teach you to be better, don't they? It's a cliche, but it's real. Yeah, it's a cliche. <laughs> it's so annoying, isn't it? Um, but actually going back to what you're saying about wanting to change the world, I think it's really interesting because we all start out like that as mm. children, don't we? But I mean, I had a similar moment and then somebody said to me, well, actually, you can change the people that you talk to and who are around you. And you forget that actually 
just talking to someone and having a positive outlook and saying something lovely can actually change the course of someone's day or, or even more than that. And actually that is where your power lies, isn't All it? All of us. And you get a microphone and get to do it to the nation. Um, yeah, and I feel inexplicably honored sometimes by that. What a blessing in my life that I've been able to share moments of vulnerability, moments of hilarity um, and connection by pressing play and knowing that so many different souls are listening to it at the same time. I will never not um, be in awe of the magic of live radio. I'm, I'm so I think it's I think it's the best. We're very good at it, Gemma. Thanks. I have a great time. I really enjoy it. Like these days, it's not my full time job, which means it's just like this is so fun, <laughs> and it's a privilege. You know, I get to cover for a friend of mine who I respect and adore, and I, I grew up at the BBC. Or whether that's good or bad, again, we could be here for hours, but like, I I love doing radio and I learnt my craft in those studios and um, I've met my heroes and I, yeah, it's, I, I didn't expect that. I like, you know, when we were talking about me when I was younger, I if you could have told 16 year old me the journey ahead of me. You wouldn't have believed it. I definitely wouldn't have believed it. I don't think there are many people who would be able to say that anyway. Yeah. You know, who knows what lies ahead of them. So so now radio is just your side hustle, <laughs> which I love. So tell me, I mean, books, theatre? Yeah, it's art. all going on. Um, it's become really artsy again. I keep saying to my literary agent, things are going to get really weird next year. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really ready. <laughs> um now I live in Scotland. Um, I My whole life has changed since the pandemic. Why did you choose Scotland? I'm Scottish, and as well as many things. Um, and I used to always go to Edinburgh Festival and have an absolute ball, be really energised by the perseverance and the creativity and the dynamics of it. I took a show there in 2019 as an exec producer. Um, and it was a punk musical, actually about teenagers wanting to change the world, <laughs> which I, I had no part in creating except for producing, but a, a friend of mine wrote it and it's, it's an extraordinary piece, it's called Parakeet. And um, I lived in Edinburgh for that month and I was working on the book festival and I was seeing people that I know that live in Edinburgh and I was, going out to the sea and swimming in it whenever I needed it and just letting it really like sink into me as a place. And I remember thinking, this is 2019, and I was living on the Southeast coast at the time, coming into London a lot, but I was living in Margate and I'd lived in Margate for a few years by this point. And I, I remember thinking, God, when I grow up, I'm gonna be like that flat that I can see across the road in terms of have some nice artwork on the wall and I'm gonna be a writer and I'm gonna live in Edinburgh, I think. And, and I don't- Bohemian I, dream. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> the other night, someone said that to me. They're like, look at Jem, she wants to be back with her Bohemian friends. <laughs> I was like, what, where'd that come from? But I guess Bohemian is like, is a word that like somehow like depicts some of my dreams, I think sometimes. I do want to be around art and this, I do want... Like, thinking differently, right? Yeah, I want a harmony of, like, 
thinkers and beauty and um because I do think positivity and um connection can can come from it I don't know like whether there is the perfect place on the planet for it I talk about that all the time with so many different sorts of people I'm so lucky I've traveled so much and there's snippets of it everywhere and we have a responsibility to try and create that for ourselves but for me that is to like feel comfortable in different places and I don't know if I at this point in life believe in a forever home but this chapter is in Scotland um and yeah and, and I'm writing and it, and that thing that I thought about in 2019 by the time it got to 2020 I've fallen in love so many things have changed things have calmed down I I I've done a lot of grieving and a lot of working out of stuff and I was like, oh, shit. I am a grown-up. <laughs> and it had only been the summer before where I'd whimsically said to myself, when I grow up, I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to move to Scotland. And suddenly I was like, I think, I think I'm a grown-up, which means I should try and change some stuff and, and, and stop thinking about that, that, that growing up bit is like to come. And keep trying to like chase this, that that incredible like fizz and vitality and robustness and ridiculousness. In some in some ways that comes with like that 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 like being like a young young woman, and like step in to try and in my this is so personal. I don't know whether this like resonates with anyone or not. You know, it's just this is just this is from me. This mm. is my story and. I was like, okay, some, something needs, the next chapter, something needs to change. And that was partly to do with like falling in love with someone as well who'd moved to the UK and uh, we just talked. We had lockdown to talk at least, you know, and uh, we we dreamed, we did so much dreaming. And uh, yeah, we it took we took our, ourselves up, we took ourselves north. <laughs> <laughs> you went north. <laughs> we went north. <laughs> to where our, our both of our our surnames originated and are you still together yeah yeah Aww, yeah that's lovely well anyway you are a writer you've got several yeah, published books yeah it's happening I've got yeah I've got books and there's another one coming there's another one coming can it's we cool. say the title yeah I love it go on it's called The Immortal Sisterhood yes <laughs> I'm so excited and, and nervous but excited mainly. Is it a book for grown-ups or is it a book for children? It's a book for grown-ups. Oh, brilliant. So this is what I mean. It's like it's like the next steps. Mm. A lot of stuff is symbolic of next steps. Um, and this is my first adult non-fiction. And I'm working with Canon Gate, who are a publisher who are based in Scotland. And they're kind of known to work with just different types of peeps. Like they... they They've published Nick Cave's book. Like they mm. work with quite a lot of musical people. Mm. They published Gil Scott Heron before he passed away. Like really interesting people. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I I respect both of those artists, and then to be you know in that company, Amy Liptrot, another incredible writer. Can you tell us a little bit about what the book's about? Um, okay, so the Immortal Sisterhood is about twelve women who are living or who have lived. And when I say women, I mean people who identify as women. 
And um, it goes from a biographical note, which is something that I've invented. It's like a kind of biog of theirs, but it's very much written through me. So I have drawn from parts of their life through my own research that I think are inspiring and interesting to write an essay in ode of them. And then I respond to to those findings with sections of my own life. So it weaves the stories of women from ancient Egypt through to Grace Jones now. <gasps> Grace Jones. Yeah. Amazing. There's also Queen Nefertiti to Grace Jones. Well, not by Queen Nefertiti. Uh, Hetaspet, who uh-huh. was um, an almost genderless, ambiguous pharaoh who um, represented uh, a genderless kingdom of sorts in ancient Egypt and um, had quite a lot of controversy around them but was a master of trade and architecture so I'm writing about them that's the, the that's his, most historically kind of oldest figure in the book and then yeah Grace Jones who's just still like goddess yeah I mean I don't need to say much more just, you yeah. say Grace Jones I love the reaction whenever I say her name because people are just like oh <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it, with historical figures? There's so much of history just has not been told from different points of view. History's been told by men, you know, yeah. in leadership positions mm-hmm. who were educated. Were you were you good at writing when you were at school? I loved writing always, yeah. I used to try and like publish my own books. I used to write stories and then spend hours rewriting them and trying to staple them together in booklet form. I think I have always been a writer and I think that working on radio and being a presenter and working, well, not even working in theatre, I couldn't get a job so I was a rubbish actor, but uh, like (laughs) thinking I wanted to work in theatre and training in theatre, all this stuff, it's led me to try and hone something that I really believe in, which is communication. Uh, the The word communication comes from a Latin word, which is, which is communicare. And it's about community, like communal share and care. And I think that uh, it's been obviously like modernized into, you know, it's even beyond the communications of like BT, where it means you can have a phone installed or a modem. You know, now we are so connected. Mm. Um, but to to bring people together or to tell stories. That's such a lovely notion because right now there's so much communication, it feels like it drives people apart, doesn't mm-hmm. it? There are so many fractured communities in social media worlds and digital worlds. And yeah. There's so little listening and so much yeah. shouting. Well, the amount of reading that I've done in the past few years, the amount of listening and the amount of therapy has led me in on lots of paths but it does somehow come back to similar themes and community is so key Mm. if we want to learn how to heal as a as a society we need to learn how to create genuine community i'm so glad you said that because it's one of the things we're sitting here in Smart Works, uh, which has an amazing and beautiful community feeling about it. And 
um, you know, amazing clients when they come in, they get to join this community and it's all women lifting up other women. Mm. Um, it helps when you don't feel connected mm. or you don't feel like you can do something and you come in here and, and you get shown how you can. And I think that that, you know, that's such a lovely gift to be able to give somebody. Mm. I just want to ask you one last thing, actually, which is um, you used to be an agony aunt. Yeah, and I can't really believe I, I was given that. I can believe you were an agony aunt. <laughs> but I heard, I heard you say something once about how it was really important for everybody to recognize how beautiful they are which is such a lovely thing to say, but how does that happen? What, in terms of how do we realise it? Yeah. Oh, man. Because I'm writing now, I, I like, my words are sometimes so flowery. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll forgive you. I read so much poetry and I spend time with poets and it does become emotional. I think humanity is beautiful and I think living is a, is a true gift. I really believe it. And no matter how over the top that sounds, it's all there for us. Like, look at nature. Mm. Literally, look at a tree. Mm. <laughs> look at it for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. And and so are we. Oh, Gemma Kelly. <laughs> I can't believe I went for the tree thing. That's good. I am such a hippie and I'm really trying not to be, particularly when I'm in London town. I think we I went... tried to be smart. Well, we, we, you did turn up on a psychedelic skirt that you bought at Glastonbury, <laughs> so I feel like we've come full circle. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that was a beautiful conversation. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Thank you. You've been listening to Fashion as a Force for Good, a podcast by Smartworks. If you'd like to find out more about Smartworks and the wonderful work they do, or make a donation, or volunteer, or book a coaching or styling appointment, visit smartworks.org.uk or follow at Smartworks Charity on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss a thing. Join us next time when we'll be sitting down with another stylish face to chat through their style journey.